The following podcast has been rated TVMA, NSFW, R, and NC-17, so it is not safe for kids. Put your children to bed. You spend enough time with them anyway. Times are getting a little easier these days, but that don't mean taking time for yourself needs to. When you want a drink, you want to work for it. That's why I only drink Malort. Its unusual full-bodied flavor of deck varnish and viper piss is a taste savored by two-fisted drinkers. So if you think your two fists are strong enough, why not grab yourself a shot of the only booze big enough to knock some sense right back into you? Jepson's Malort. It'll kick your ass for you, so you can take time taking her easy. Proud sponsor of Chad the Birdcast, which is what you're listening to right now. Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Chad. I'm a bird. This is my birdcast, and you knew that because you clicked on it, but if you didn't, now you're caught up. Hey, now you know what's happening. A couple of things that are happening this week. Uh, Weekend, actually, because this is a Friday that this is airing. Um, On Saturday, May 14th, 3 p.m. Central, I'll be at the Green Mill talking about something. I don't want to spoil it, but I just got my assignment. I hope you enjoy it. And then on Sunday... Um, I will be at the Golden Dagger starting around noon for a brunch sesh. There's a band there, and uh, I will be presenting something as well. I don't know what it's going to be yet either, so just like strap in. It's going to be a blast. Either way, that's two chances you get to see me in the face if you're feeling super like comfy being around people. If you're not, you just listen to more Birdcasts because there's plenty. Right now, though, brand new Birdcast, I got to do an interview, B-Gels. Uh, with somebody who I greatly admire. They're the previous executive director of the Midwest Independent Film Festival. They're the publisher of the Tribune Publishing Company's Red Eye, which, if you live in Chicago, you know about that uh, adorable little publication. Um, they manage the social media and search engine optimization at the Chicago Tribune, at which time she co-wrote a syndicated column. And while at the Tribune, they served as digital editor for Chicago Tribune's book sections, Printer's Row, where she covered the rise of digital publishing and literature. She also founded Pilcrow Lit Fest in Chicago, served as the president of the board of directors at Bitch Media, and is the immediate past president of the Association for Women Journalists in the Chicago Board. She's an award-winning screenwriter. Uh, She reports on business and technology weekdays on WGN 720 AM in Chicago. She's the host of the Daily Business, Technology, and Economics podcast for Cranes Chicago Business. Um, She leads Programming 5959 Chicago, which is a Jewish-based arts and culture community initiative. Um, what, oh fuck, what else? Uh, senior facilitator at the Op-Ed Project. Um, she's written opinion pieces and essays for the New York Times, Washington Post, U.S. News and World Report, San Francisco Chronicle. She worked with universities like Brown, Cornell, Columbia, um, Northwestern, Loyola, DePaul. I'm just reading it all off so you know what's up. Uh, she, her works appeared in various publications in Los, like Los Angeles Review of Books. Los Angeles Times, WGN-TV, WBEZ, MLK50, Justice Through Journalism, The Tribune, Orlando Sentinel. I mean, fucking, you name it. She was named one of the funniest media personalities by the Laugh Factory Chicago in 2013. And in 2014, she was graciously given the honorary title of Baroness by Her Majesty Queen Carolyn of Ladonia, leader of the coastal micronation in the North Sea. So, yeah, technically you can call her Lady 
Amy Goof, and I'm so friggin' chuffed that she agreed to come on the Birdcast and talk to me about journalism because I've decided that I deserve a Pulitzer Prize for my 12 years of service, but I don't know how to be a journalist, so I figured I would have an actual journalist on to ask her how to do it. So without any further ado, here's my interview with the legendary Amy Goof, already in progress. That you like me Cause you could go downhill I can't promise that you love me But you probably will uh, what, do you, what are you like most proud of? Oh gosh, what am I most proud of? Um, you know, that's hard to say Because I think all of it has just been um, I tend to be kind of a a little bit entrepreneurial and a little DIY scrappy in my approach to everything. So I think I've done a lot of, I've been lucky enough to do a lot of really cool things here in Chicago. Um, I worked at the Tribune. I ran a literary festival for a little while that I founded. Um, you know, I've, and I, I wore a lot of hats at the Tribune and now I'm at Cranes and WGN Radio and I, you know, it's, it's all fun stuff. It's all interesting stuff that I enjoy doing. Um, what's your favorite kind of hat that you wear just in general? You know what? If I could bring back women's hats from the forties and fifties that had like a little net that went over the one eye and you looked really mysterious and femme fatale, I would do the heck out of that. And there's nothing like stopping me from bringing it back. I just <laughs> I need to do say, it. I was going to say, you can do it. The I world it. is yours. Yeah. I just need to start doing that and just start wearing them and be like, let my, let me get my hat. We'll go. I just need to start saying things like that in that voice. <laughs> I love that. It's when you leave. It's just yeah. like, I only wear hats before I go. I've never worn a hat to a place. Yes. You just have to put it on when you're out of the house. So you're ladylike. <laughs> Fascinators. I do believe some of them are called. That's the kind with the plumy stuff that comes out the top that you wear to the derby. Correct. And I am a big horse racing person. So I don't know if you saw the big Twitter thread I put out on Derby Day about how I pick my horses, but I'm very into that. And I have some superstition around my Derby hat. So if I win, I add something to my hat. What? Like, what are you, like a pin? Um, I've done different stuff. So if, say this year I picked three good horses, I'm going to add like a feather and two flowers or something like that. Oh, nice. All right. So you're, you're like a fan of the horse racing for real. So like oh, yeah. if I were to talk to you about who won the Preakness and all that kind of stuff, you'd know what I'm talking about. I'm, well, I mean, there aren't many triple crown horses, but damn yes, right. Right. But I, I mean, I did this whole thread on Twitter about how I pick horses because a lot of it is just like people pontificating. Right. And that's half of it. It's just people that are like, right. Go in confidently, but no, oh, no, no. You got to look at where's that horse trained? What's the climate there? What's the weather going to be in Kentucky that day? Who are the parents of that horse? What did they do? Who's the trainer? What's their track record like? I mean, there's a lot of temperament stuff. And then I look at when was the last time that horse ran a race and how long has it been? Because I think if it's like two weeks, people go, oh, this horse just won this. You know, they just won the Arkansas Derby two weeks ago. Mm -mm. You got to give that horse a minute, just like people. So I love I love to think of you in uh, in one of your spy hats knocking on doors and like horses answering the door be like, I thought I told you to piss off, goof. And you'd be like, yeah, but how's your son doing? No, seriously, Mr. Thunder, how's your son? Ah, oh, come on. <laughs> Just the scourge of the horse suburbs. 
so what brought you to Chicago? Like, that's the, you know, first glass of wine question yeah. that, you know, I have with everyone. Sure. Uh, well, you know, it, I was always interested in Chicago. I was interested in Second City. I was interested in comedy writing. Um, I went to New York because, you know, I feel like that's what writerly people need to do. And mostly I just did a lot of waiting tables there. Um, but I had, you know, I had opportunities here <laughs> too. <laughs> it's true. I was like, I, there was like a minute there. Where I was like, so you were a waiter. And then I was like, nah, she's already got it. You just run with it. But I wanted to jump in. Yeah. Oh, I waited a lot of tables in New York. I grew up in a restaurant family. So I've worked in front of the house, back of the house, all of it. It's a nice. tough. So do you still have like, um, like PTSD moments? Like if someone yells behind you immediately, like stiffen up. I freeze. Yeah. I totally freeze. I'll like put my hands up and be like, freeze. Yep. Yeah. Or if someone <laughs> uh, absolutely say things. Yeah. I absolutely say things are 86 all the time. So then you come to Chicago. Yeah. Journal. Now, did you like have to wait tables here? Like, did you work at like a cheesecake factory or something downtown? Like BF Chang's? No, I didn't wait tables here. Um, I, I did a bunch of like odd office jobs and I did a lot of temping when I first got here. Oh, nice. And That's a good Chicago route to do, temping. It is because that got me downtown to the loop right. and I, I still don't really know the grid system. When someone says, oh, I'm at 3,400, I don't know what that means. You got to tell me where you are. That's a professional Chicagoan. Yeah. I'm all, I feel like I'm just a Chicago hobbyist when I talk to people like that. They're like, I'm like, I'm at the corner of like, uh... Ashland and Montrose. And they're like, oh, you're in the 3400. I'm like, duh, teach yeah. me your ways. Yeah, I can't do it. At, you know, one time at the Tribune, I used to sit really close to Rick Kogan, who just legendary guy, right? And he, he was like, he speaks in the grid. And oh, he man. was like, oh, you got to learn the grid. You got you, <laughs> you to do that first. You got, I mean, he, it was like I had betrayed all of Chicago journalism by not knowing the grid. There are other yeah. journalists that do not know the grid, so I don't feel too bad. But. <laughs> I love that it's like when you first get here and people are like, the lake is east, and you're like, uh, okay. I don't see any lake. <laughs> so yeah, so then now you're here, you started working at thing. Now you start you started working at the Tribune first, right? Or where did you work first? I was f doing freelance work for a very long time and um, started Pilcrow Lit Fest after my book came out, and I just realized, hey, you know, a lot of Lit Fest's pay a lot of attention to what's happening on the coast, but not a lot what's happening here. Right. And there was a lot of authors here doing great stuff that were not getting the recognition they needed. So I started Pilcrow Lit Fest and ran that for a couple of years and then um, got approached by the Tribune to come work in their book section. Uh, in this darkest of timelines, I decided that I am a journalist because I have been doing journalist things. I Googled it and I was like, um... Yeah, that sounds like what I do, but uh, I've been doing it for 15 years, which means I'm like up for a Pulitzer. I think that's how it works. That seems so, reasonable to me. And but, honestly, like there there are less qualified people doing that. So <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> uh, give it to the drunk bird. Yeah, at least you know the after party <laughs> will be swinging. Um, so like in order for me to do that, though, I have to actually show that I'm a journalist. So I have some yes. questions. I hope you don't mind if yeah, I can pick your brain for just a moment. Let's do it. Um, so, uh, first and foremost, I think most importantly, besides, you know, where'd you go to school? Uh, what is your area of specialty? Uh, what do journalists drink? It's <laughs> like, I'm going to be going to a lot of bars, like, uh, like under the fucking whacker. Cause yeah. I went to that Billy goat place under, under whacker. So what do you drink? Like, what's a journalist drink? Cause I got to fit in. Well, whatever it is, you got to drink a lot of it. 
Noted. So, I mean, think about it. There's, you meet journalists on either the best or worst day of your life usually, right? So journalists are exposed to a lot of traumatic things and... I don't know that we all deal with that in the most positive way. <laughs> but who does? <laughs> but who does, right? So there's some degree of like, whoa, that was a whole thing that happened today. I'm going to go process my bourbon-flavored feelings. There's a yeah. lot of that going on. Bourbon, yeah. huh? Are you a bourbon person? Yeah. Like, is it like you're a house? Yeah, I like, I enjoy the bourbon. Right on. But what would you, okay. Mm-hmm. So this is the comic book version of Amy Guth, reporter, horse tracker, uh, yeah. What is your What is your like your Jessica Jones character drink? Gosh, well, I, I'm kind of anti fussy drinks. Oh, okay, f- perfect. Right. So I and I think that would probably be something that could, that I would say is a good generalization for a lot of journalism because you just not not many people are going to be like I want a Cosmo. They're going to be like bourbon neat. Like, I need this simple, to burn. straightforward. I need the burn yeah. to overpower me for a moment. This needs to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Bourbon meat. Done. This needs to. That's how I'm doing it from now on. When people are like, do you want a shot? I'll be like, whatever. Just make sure it hurts. But no, well, but no shots. See, shots are, mm-mm. that's not a good idea because you don't want to get so drunk. You like talk. Oh yeah. You want to keep it down. Okay. So sippies. Sippies. And you don't want to, you don't want to forget anything if you're with a source, right? That's if like, a if good Somebody's point. giving you information. You don't want to be like, oh damn, I don't remember what they told me. You got to yeah. keep it together. Sippies. I forgot that you were still on the clock. In my well, mind, you're always like, on yeah, the clock. You're always on the clock. Okay, you're that's good to know. I got to write that down. Yeah. So I if you're on a beat, on I mean, and that's I think what is like a lot of burnout is about because if you're on a beat, no matter what time that thing happens, you're you got to go. You got to go do it. So explain to me what the beat is like because I'm assuming you've done the beat. Yeah. So, you don't have to give me specifics because I don't need anybody knocking on my door or, or anything, but like, well, so to cultivate a beat, you just need to know first, like who are the big players in this space and how do I get to know them? Usually it's, I get to know their PR people. So you're going to want to, Hey, PR person, I'm new to this beat for this publication, blah, 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 blah. Let me know. And then you cultivate a relationship with them. And then you just sort of learn to keep tabs on that, that field and that, that whatever it is your beat is, which can be really tricky, right? I mean, if you, depending on what it is, say you're covering like um, a bunch of corporations, like they have really well-paid people that are keeping the story on a certain track. So you have to be a good interviewer and cultivate interview skills to learn to get that, you know, get, get your questions answered from people. Um, but you also have to build that relationship both directions. You know, you have to prove that you're worthy of, you know, you're not going to just like sell somebody out in an article. You're going to, you know, you're going to report accurately and well, and then they build their trust with you. Did you ever have to do any of that like kind of like shifty? No. Or like kick in any doors or be like, hey, I'm with the press. I wish I could kick in a door. I've never kicked in a door. Um, Ugh, I st- bucket list. I, st- I know. I studied Krav Maga, so I've kicked in a fake door, but I've never kicked in a real door. Wait, don't just gloss over that like it's a thing that people say in mid-conversation <laughs> in the afternoon. You kicked in a door? Well, a practice door, yeah. Oh, okay, excuse me, a practice yeah. door. It's still it a was fucking a door. door. <laughs> you kicked in a door. I did. I kicked in a door, I broke a board, and I learned to flip a person. Those what? were some big fun things in Krav, yeah. Did you do that because you're getting too close to the truth and too many people are coming <laughs> after you? 
So the very first class I went to, they were like, okay, if you have been put on the ground and someone is pointing a gun to your head, you're on your knees, how do you get out of that? And I was like, I have no idea, teach me the way. And so by the end of class, we had learned how to do that and we had practiced and- So you know how to get, you know how to do it. Well, I, I would say this, if ever you find me shot in an alley, know that I went, I didn't go down without a fight. I, I feel very confident Damn. that I could, at le- you know, and that's the thing. Sometimes you have to, in Krav, you have to make a decision of like, I think I'm out of options, so I should try this because it's, I'm probably going to get shot. So I have, I, I have nothing to lose. I can do this. And a lot of it is like using other people's body weight, things like that. But the people I trained with were so funny because they were always kind of like, if you, if we go easy on each other, we've killed each other down the road. Meaning like, I've, I'm not set you up for success. If I'm not really tough on you, we would beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> and it was really fun to go in there with consent to total strangers and just wail on them. And I'm still friendly wow. with some of the people I met in that, but Occasionally you'd get a creep though, a guy who was like, had a thing, like, I want women to beat me up. Occasionally you'd find a creepy guy in a thing you were doing. What? Right. Imagine. In this day and age? I know. In this country? <laughs> All right. So noted. I got to drink a lot. Uh, learn how to over fight. a period of time. I have to learn how to fight. Yeah. All right. Cool. Fuck, man. <laughs> Who's got that kind of time? Uh, what's like a typical, like, cause I'm going to be hungry and be getting in late. Like what's a typical late night Grubhub order? Oh man. When you're on the beat after kicking in a door. Well, you don't want to go in for the night. Yeah. You don't want to go carb heavy because you're going to get sleepy. <laughs> right. So you got to You got to eat really well. I don't think that's always the case. There's a special, a, a very special uh, vibe in the air on election nights because newsrooms always order pizza and you eat your pizza and you work for 48 hours in a row and everybody's delirious and it's all good. But um, newsrooms are not known for their healthy food. Anytime there's group food, it's always crap. But so you've got to balance it out and eat well later. How do you cite your sources? And I mean, like, how do you do it? Like, I don't know how you're supposed to do how it. How do you word it in the sentence or how? Yeah, do, yeah, there's like certain ways, commas, it's fucking bedlam. I tried <laughs> doing it once and I was like, why is there a semicolon here? And they're like, you got to italicize this. And I was like, it's just say it was fucking Dan. <laughs> Dan at 5.30 p.m. on Friday. This is what kind of wigs me out about social media, because, you know, if a if a story is that the say the chief of police says X, Y, Z, and the headline is, you know, police, colon, the suspect has been apprehended, whatever. Okay. Twitter then goes, they caught the guy. Right? Right. So then you're like, well, police say, and they're like, what's the difference? And it, that so-and-so says is really important because, you know, we saw this a lot during the earlier stages of the pandemic because people are like, oh, the guidance is this, now it's this. I was like, first of all, science evolves. We've, you know, right. at one point, Alison Arwady, the, um, the commissioner of the public health department in Chicago, she said, you know, we've known this virus less time than it takes to gestate a human being. You have to let science catch up. You have to let oh, us learn. Oh, man, there was so much fuck. Okay, so I did like two pandemic shows. Yeah. While it was happening, I had a couple of people on some doctors. I had an epidemiologist on uh, and like accredited not like just people like Googled on fucking Google. Sure. I, I look, I looked up actual people that would know what they're fucking talking about. And I did that. And I made that like a point. I was like, look, you, you, for someone like me, who's just doing this from their studio, you cannot get 
more like better sources than this, right? These are the people I'm talking to. And I, I made sure I cross-referenced the whole thing. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, man. Remember when we just like did that? We were just like, yeah, this is an expert. So let's talk about it. Now we have to be so fucking careful. And it's really, it's really annoying. Well, I think we've always had to be careful. I mean, we've always had to be careful. But what's kind of freaky to me is I got into journalism because I believed if you give people good information and it's accurate and well-vetted and it's credible, they'll make good decisions. And then I feel like I have had to really reconcile that belief over the last couple of years because I don't think that's accurate. So I'm not going to lie. The first year of the pandemic, I was having a little bit of an existential crisis professionally because I was like, well, I've spent 20 years for nothing. People don't care. You know, especially when, you, you know, you're seeing people, there were shirts that you were seeing people wear that were like, journalist, rope, tree, let's do this. And I'm like, what the fuck? People don't want information. And, and all the time I get this where people are like, how come nobody's reporting on XYZ? And I was like, tell me how you found out about XYZ. Yeah, exact, exactly. Oh, from reporting. Oh, reporting. We did it. We talked about it. Turns out it's probably just not that interesting. Or, or it's bullshit. It's and bullshit. no one can verify it. And that happens all the time. And I think we in the journalism world have not done a great job of explaining how newsrooms work, like the difference between a reporter and a columnist. What is the difference between a reporter and a columnist? So a reporter is just going to report. They're going to say this happened and this happened and this happened. A columnist can say that, but they're also going to put analysis into it. So a lot of times if you're in the commentary space, people will be like, oh, so-and-so reported that this happened. No, they said, because of this this is what we might look for, or this is what might happen in the midterms or whatever. So a columnist needs to have an opinion, needs to give some analysis, or, you know, you'll also sometimes people tweet a column and they'll go, look at the bias in here. Like they're supposed to be biased. If they didn't have bias, they would not be a commentator. They would not be doing commentary. Whereas a reporter needs to, here's, here's what occurred. If someone tells you that it's raining outside and someone tells you that it is not, your job is to open the window and look outside. Like that's report the, the information and verify the information. Don't just quote people, but you have to verify the information. So, I mean, I, I spend, I lose a lot of sleep over what, A, how social media is now part of, when people say the media, they need, first of all, there's no one media. Like we're not, I know people think that like George Soros and Obama give us a check every day and tell us what to talk about, but no, I've never once been told, you must talk about the following, ever. And we're not all in lock, lockstep. So to me, anytime someone says the media, already it's a red flag that, okay, this person needs some media literacy education because we're not all in lockstep. There's no one media. And it, frankly, it's dangerous when you say like, oh, the media is all reporting this because cognitive bias is a real thing. And I have literally been on the air saying X, Y, Z, and somebody was calling in or texting in or whatever saying the media is not reporting on this. And I was like, I am literally talking about the thing, but you cannot hear me because you believe no one's doing that. That was the thing, like, like that cognitive bias, uh, fundamental attribution error situation. Like I didn't know what any of that was until 2016 when all these psychologists were like, how could this be happening? How, why is this happening? And they're like, Oh, it turns out, a very large portion of the American populace is experiencing like all of these mental moments where they're crediting something with something that isn't true. And therefore you can't shake them from that. 
And that's the reason why you're yelling at the guy cutting you off in traffic. You're like, this asshole, but you don't know. There could be a bee in his car. But like that on a national level was, is just wild. It's like invasion of the body snatchers. So what's that been like for you? I mean, like, I can't, I mean, I know doctors are fucking over it. They're just like, I'm don't, you just go die. I don't care anymore. Just go die. But like, what's journalists, uh, like, where are you at now? Because having to tell people about how crazy it is, ugh, I'm already tired for you. Yeah. Um, I, I am concerned about the mental health of journalists, um, particularly those that are reporting on healthcare and politics, because it's been a long handful of years. Um, you know, I am a bit of a generalist in my role at Crane, so it's always the business take of whatever, you know, the business angle of whatever's going on. Um, but there's been a lot of politics with that. There's been a lot of, um, a lot of healthcare related news throughout the pandemic. So, um, what I, what I did earlier in the pandemic is I co-wrote a screenplay just kind of for funsy. And I was like, this is fun and interesting. And I think there's similar bumpers on your lane, similar parameters as there is in reporting. So I, I like felt like it was an interesting writing exercise and that's been weirdly going well. So I like made a little crack in the door and the universe was like, here you go, write a bunch more. So that's been yeah, kind of you a You can good... get your emotions out now instead of having to stifle them so you can do a fucking story. That's right. Yeah. You can actually nice. human beings with emotions. So Yay. So that's been a good, you know, balance of a thing to do. But it's increasingly difficult to keep going in journalism when you're like I don't think anybody gives a crap. I don't think people right. want this. Like, I talked to somebody who was saying, hey, I got a question for you. And I had just given this spiel about like, there's no one media, everybody chill out. And this person said, well, you know, they were talking about this athlete. And they said, well, th- nobody reports on this athlete that's done all this charity work. And I was like, so how do you know that he's done all that charity work? And they're like, well, because, you know, like you hear about it. Okay. <laughs> right, exactly. Your like, neck is starting to hurt from nodding. From all the like, nodding. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. People are still getting benefit from something they think they hate. And that's difficult. That's really right. difficult to, to kind of reconcile. And newsrooms are getting smaller, right? Because the business model changed. So it's increasingly difficult. And, you know, the other thing I think is interesting as newsrooms got smaller and people were going, oh, you're not covering this, blah, blah. I think it was the New York Times, if not, it was the Washington Post, started releasing their heat maps at one point. And it was like, here's our screen, here's our front page. And what's lit up red is what people were clicking on. And so all these people were going like, oh, you're not talking about this, this, and this. And this, this, and this were right there on the front page, but nobody clicked on it. Instead, everybody was clicking on the story about Britney Spears or whatever. So it was like, again, with that kind of cognitive bias of if you are not just because you don't give a shit about reading it doesn't mean it's not doesn't being mean covered. it's not out there. Right. Just because it didn't impact you in any way and you're more right. interested in what Beyonce's up to, which all of us are, obviously. Right. Obviously. You know, uh, and, and, and yeah. I think algorithms are part of that too, you know. So so I commented on um, there was a, a brand on Facebook that had commented the other day and said it says a lot about the state of media that I know more about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard than I do about what's happening in the war in Ukraine. <laughs> that sounds more like it's your fucking Facebook feed problem, bub. Exactly what I said. I was like, you know, I think what you mean is, because that's, that's being covered quite well and quite right. thoroughly. I think what you mean is like, I too was discouraged to see that Johnny Depp and Amber Heard were trending above President Zelensky, but that's on Twitter. That's not on right. me. That's on Twitter. And that's on how many people are clicking on, like, it's not... 
And, and it was like the Met Gala was happening while all this horrible shit was happening in Ukraine. And people were like, I know more about what so-and-so wore. I was like, because you clicked on it, fool. That's why. <laughs> Um, well, thank you for helping me get my journalism degree, and I'm super pumped for getting my Pulitzer, and I'm going to dedicate it to you, no fooling. Well, I swear, I'm not going to double back. I also have to thank the agency. I'm assuming you report to an agency. I've done zero research. <laughs> that's It's fine. No, that's perfect. Let's go with Great. that. Let's go with that. Um, but, uh, hmm, before you go, think might be time for two minutes and 10 questions. Are you ready? No, you're not. Nobody is. Number one, how can you tell if someone is good at Microsoft Office? I'm going to be so bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How can you tell if someone's good at Microsoft Office? I don't, I don't. Eh, you don't. You have to take their word. Number two, oh, how good God. do you have to be? Oh, it's only going to get worse from here. Oh. How good do you have to be to use Microsoft Office? <laughs> Good do you have to be to use I mm, buzzer? Eh, oh, you have to excel. Number Damn three. Damn it! Damn it! <laughs> Why did I get fired from the calendar factory? You couldn't get there on time. <laughs> eh, I took a day off. Number Damn four. It. Why do journalists do stories on hammers? Because we really want to nail it. Oh, you know, I'm going to give that to you. Hard-hitting stuff is what I had. Oh, but okay. if you want to nail it, fuck yeah. All right, one out of ten. Number five, why do surfers make good journalists? <laughs> I have no idea. Eh, because they're always caught up on current events. Number oh, six, did okay. you hear the joke I wrote for the medical journal? Because it, I don't know. I don't eh, know. Because <laughs> it's still under review. Number oh, seven. <laughs> What kind of journal do lumberjacks keep? A log. Oh, two out of ten. We're on the board. <laughs> Number eight. How do you know you can trust the boat dock times? Uh, because they have a trusted anchor. <laughs> Damn it. That's better than the one I have. All right. Three out of ten. The reason I had is that you, they've been peer reviewed, but yours oh. is so much better. Number nine, what is the spiciest news magazine? Salt Lake City? No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Eh, time. Because parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme are all spices, so it's time. Oh, Time's a spice. God. Yeah, no, don't. It's not, oh. You're not supposed to like this. Ugh. I don't like this. I'm proud of the anchor. <laughs> you should be. And number 10, what was the name of that What Me Worry satire magazine with the kid with the big ears that was a huge hit with volcanoes? Nope, nope. <laughs> not going to get it. Mad Magmazine. But oh, 3 out of 10, God. not bad. See, it's not like bad. doing a Wordle. It sucks, but then when you get it right, you're like, yeah, give me another one. You're like, nope, still sucks. <laughs> Hate it. Hate, Hate it. it. Yeah. But you are tough. you are now second place. Based right. entirely on your witticisms that, and you rewrote the test. You Captain Kirk this shit. Nice. Well done. I'm impressed. You have to come Thank back you. and defend your title. Oh, I will. <laughs> well, you've, you've been watching anyway. You're like in the corner. Like, I'm going to turn around and you're going to be right behind me wearing a fascinating hat. Being Definitely. like, ha ha. What do you think about horses? <laughs> <laughs> Special thanks to the Barrera Kudas for their kick-ass song, Promises, which is what you're hearing. On the back end right now, thank you to Jepson's Malort for sponsoring me for six years and counting. Thank you to the great Amy Guth for coming on the show, dropping some knowledge, and walking away a champion. Three out of ten, not bad. 
Like I said, please check me out on Saturday at the Green Mill uh, and at the Golden Dagger on Sunday. Hit up all the links below. Check out Amy Guth down there, too. Learn all about her and follow her on everything. And while you're at it, you know, give me a look, too. Click a like. Rate and review. Let me know how you're feeling. Let me know how you're doing. Email me. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. Because we all got to keep in the know. Because that's how we survive. So we just stay on top of shit and make sure we cite our sources, which, uh, as you heard, I learned how to do. Oh, man. So much knowledge. I'm going to go get a drink. Probably a bourbon. Because that's what journalists do. Yeah. No shots, though. Oh, hey, podcast people. It's Chad the Bird. And this is a commercial for something super cool that you should totally get into. But why me? And why you? Well, here's the deal. I have a brand new show in the works just for you that will hearken you back to a time before when things were random and all bets were off, when Ecto Cooler roamed the land and you would wake up early on Saturday mornings. Remember those days? It's been too long since we've had reason and now here I am with you and that reason. And that reason is a brand new live action show starring me and an army of comedians, musicians, writers, actors, celebs, and randos streaming right into your desktop on Saturday mornings live. TV used to be wild, free, untamed by plot and point, remember? When it was just whatever the hell you got, like Halloween candy. Sometimes it's chocolate, sometimes it's a pack of chalky bullshit. Either way, that's the game. My new show will stack your pumpkin bucket with random comedy, music, spoken word, and whatever the hell people give me into 20 minutes of prime internet escape written and performed by the best of the best and the best we can afford right into your home Saturday mornings live. So join me, Chad the Bird, and donate to my Patreon now to bring back the good old days of nonsense to your Saturday mornings. Funding will help produce and maintain a monthly show that we hope to turn into a bi-monthly show, and hey, you go all ham on this and we'll go weekly. Take back your Saturday mornings, reclaim random, and give me money. Chad the Bird is my name, and my new show is all for you, podcast people. So click the link and get in on it. Is that good?